Oh, I love that song. It's one of my newest favorite songs. All right, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children today to Children's Church. I think the Jacksons have them today. Brought a toy with me this morning to play with. I stole it from the nursery, so hopefully they don't miss it too much. Anyway, Acts chapter number 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter number 10. We're continuing the narrative. It's one of the longer narratives in the book of Acts. We started talking about this last week as we introduced it. And really, this is a very important chapter, not just for the book of Acts, but really for the New Testament. Because remember back in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus gave the commission to go into the world to spread the gospel to all creatures. And all means all. It doesn't just mean some. It doesn't just mean the select. Now, Jesus himself was a Jew, but he wasn't just trying to get the gospel to Jews only. He was wanting to get the gospel to everyone. And as we illustrated last week and as we talked about last Sunday, the importance of this commission, uh, Peter, his mind had to be kind of reshaped because he had his own prejudices. Again, all of us struggle with prejudices. All of us struggle with biases. And we mentioned that a little bit last week, and we'll continue that thought a little bit today. It's not always necessarily a racial thing. Sometimes it's just, like I said last week, you know, we have different flavors of ice cream that we like. We all have preconceived notions that we think are true, sometimes without even gathering facts. And especially with food, when you think about that. Again, we've talked about this. How many times have we said, I don't like something without ever trying it? That's me, like, all the time, uh, especially when my wife makes something. I don't like that. It looks nasty. But then she's like, try it. And I try it. and like, oh, wow, it's actually really good. Um, but we all have preconceived prejudices and biases. And really what we're talking about is the fact that the gospel has to break through. And that's what had to happen in Peter's life. The gospel had to break through to his preconceived notions, his preconceived prejudices and biases. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to necessarily answer it right now. We'll probably answer a little bit more in our EQ time today. But think about this. How can prejudice blind us? Think about that. How can prejudice blind us? You know, we've all been blinded at times. And what I mean by that is we don't see clearly. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that this week. Um, how many have ever gone to the eye doctor and had your eyes dilated? Yeah, a couple of our kids uh, at school, uh, Amelia and Jocelyn, they did this week. And, you know, Jocelyn came back like a little old lady. She had like these, you know, the, the, the whatever they're called, the, the shades. I mean, all, all she needed was like a little cane and she had the part fit down perfect. And she's like, I can't see, I can't see. It was, it was funny. It was, it was pretty comical. It's happened to me many times before I've gone to the doctor. I can't see. Uh, something gets in your eye. Even this past week, I've been struggling with sickness. Somehow I got pink eye. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm not contagious or anything like that. I got pink eye Wednesday into Thursday. So uh, there's been times where, you know, even wearing glasses, you know, your glasses fog up. Don't you love that? You know, when you go in somewhere and your glasses fog up and you can't see and you're like, ah, oh, you're trying to find something to wipe them off. That happens to us, and really it happens to us in our thinking and with our prejudices because they blind us and we cannot see clearly. Now, our society talks about unity. It talks about being one. But the reality is that with all of the racial and social issues, we've merely segregated ourselves even more. You know, what Paul, or not Paul, but what Jesus wanted to do, especially with Peter, he wanted to tear down the walls. How many have ever tore something down? How many have ever tore something down? You know, I love demolition. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite things. I don't necessarily love the construction. I know Justin does a little bit of both. Uh, I love the demolition part. Uh, when I was a youth pastor in Indianapolis, 
uh, we were extending our teen room and trying to make it a little bit larger and doing some stuff. So we had a party and we had a demo party. And it was fun, you know, demoing the walls and just knocking things down. But then you always have to clean it up, right? There's always a mess. And they didn't want to clean it up. They wanted to tear it down. But you think about that. How many have ever knocked something down only to realize there's more of a mess than before, right? There's a huge mess when you knock something down. How many have ever ripped up a fence? Anybody? All right, I'm trying to speak to your language today. All right, thank you. Uh, usually when you rip up a fence, what is left behind? I mean, there's a lot of things left behind, but what is left behind when you rip up a fence? Concrete, what? Rotten wood, holes? Yeah, someone said holes. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's in the ground, there are going to be holes. Now, the fence might be gone, but the holes are still there. Now, you can fill them in with dirt, right? But there is still the effects of the holes. And sometimes if it, you know, it's in the grass area, it might take several weeks, several months to kind of grow over, right? Understand the process here? So just because you remove something doesn't mean it takes everything away. And what Lord is trying to do is he's trying to break down these walls, but we have to realize that sometimes it takes time. It takes time to get beyond some of these preconceived notions that we have. And oftentimes our prejudices, our biases present us from fitting in where God wants us to fit in. So I brought this little toy up here today to help me demonstrate this before we quickly move on into our message today. And really, it was just so I can play with it. So. Exactly. So uh, we all know what these toys are. Uh, it's just, uh, what, what animal is this? Anybody? A pig. A pig? No. What school do you go to? A, f- a what? Ephelon? <laughs> Ephelope? What is an ephelope? Ephelope? What? Probably, but yeah, I was like, I was like six months ago, so how would I remember that? Um, yeah, I, I do remember now. Uh, it's uh, whatever they said, or an elephant, okay? Uh, that's what it is. I was like it. I think all elephants have tails like this where you can spin around and, and do this thing. Um, so all of this, you see, it's uh, different shapes, right? And simple illustration, but again, what shape is this? Triangle. <laughs> All right, you're going back to third grade, okay? Starting tomorrow. Actually, probably first grade, maybe second grade, because that's probably more your level. Uh, this is a square, a square. So, start with this. What shape is this? I know somebody like, I've never seen that before. Just a star, okay? <laughs> how, many, how many sides are on the star? Getting geometry today. We're going to get biblical here in a minute. Five? Five points. Five points. Thank you. Thanks for clarifying that. I appreciate that. Five points, 10 size, 14 angles, whatever. Um, so this star was not made to go into the square peg, right? Right. Correct. Thank you. So if I were to try to put it in there, it's not going to fit. Now, I can probably force it, and I could probably do what some people do, like I would do, like I would get a knife and like cut it open, make sure it would go in. Hey, it's going in there. What? I can get a hammer, but I don't want to destroy this because the nursery kids are probably missing it right now. Like, where's, where's my hippolopalopia or whatever it's called? What? There's only one in there? Oh, well, they're not missing it then. There's other things to play with. So, again, you, you cannot take a star and shove it in to a square, to a square peg. What fits into a square peg? Oh, man, you guys are smart today. A square fits in to a square peg. And then you do this, and it shoots it out. Sorry, that was just... That was just for fun. That was really for fun. Same thing. Again, what shape is this? 
circle. Very good. How many points are on a circle, Christina? I'm just, I'm, she, she's good at this. So how many? None. Good job. All right. So, sorry. Can the circle go into the five-point, 14-sided star? No, again, you can't force it into that. It only goes where it was designed to go. Now, can you pick that up for me? It's hard for me to jump down and then jump back up. I'm an old man now. I just had a birthday. Thank you. Appreciate that. How many in your life, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just playing today, I promise you. Um, well, part of it. But anyway, uh, how many have ever feel like, you know, you just don't fit in sometimes? Anybody? I think a lot of us do, especially in the Christian life. But the, the reality is there's a lot of illustration or applications I can make with this. You know, here's the thing. First and foremost, we are all unique. Not all of us are a square peg. Not all of us are a star, 68 shapes. Not all of us are, what is this? A triangle. Not all of us are, what is this? Tough. What's this one? Six. 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 What is a six-sided shape? Hexagon. Good job, people. What is this? A circle. So all of us are unique. All of us are different. And we have to understand that. But here's the amazing thing. What the gospel does is it takes our uniqueness and allows us to unify. It allows us to fit in. And we have to understand that God has designed us differently. And Paul talks about this later in some of his epistles. But you cannot force a circle to fit into where it was not designed, to where it was not created. You cannot force a hexagon to fit into the shape that was a square. Sometimes we feel like we are so out of place in the Christian life, and, and I'm sure even, even for Peter, he felt out of place, and I'm sure even for Cornelius, right? He felt out of place because he is searching after God, and he wants to know more about God, but in his mind, the gospel is only for Jews. So what is he to do? And all of a sudden, uh, God has to break down those walls in his life. He had to break down those walls in Peter's life and help him understand that all of us are unique, but that's okay. And God designed us all to fit in to our specific area. So again, the hexagon goes in the hexagon hole. The square goes in the square hole. The star, I had to remember what it was. Star goes in the star. The circle goes in the circle. The triangle goes in the triangle. They're all unique. And they all fit in where they are supposed to fit in. Now we're going to come back to this in a little bit in the message. Hopefully they don't shoot out during the service. That would just be weird. Acts chapter 10, though. Verse number 34 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Now, before we get there, I want to kind of reiterate some of the things that we talked about. Because, again, this is a long narrative, and it's, it's very important. When we get to Acts chapter 11 today, the first 18 verses are really a reiteration of Acts chapter 10. And sometimes you would, it, it's very easy to think, because even me, uh, this week in my study, I was thinking, why would God put that in there. Because when you read Acts chapter 11, the first 18 verses, it's basically the same thing we talked about last week. Why would God put that in there? Well, there's a reason for it. He put it in there for emphasis. It's not that Luke didn't have anything else to say. He was trying to emphasize something because, again, in order to break down the walls of prejudice, what has to happen also is that we have to break down the walls in our thought, our thought process. 
And what we're going to learn today is that the gospel changes not just our prejudice when we allow it to, but it also changes our thinking. Look, God's heart has always been for everyone. You know, for Peter and so many others, as we mentioned last week, their thought process was that God loves Jews. Now, is that correct? Does God love Jews? Yes. But he also loves everyone else, correct? Yes. So for Peter, his preconceived thought process, his preconceived notion was that God loves Jews and he hates everyone else. He hates the Gentiles. But that's not the God that we know and understand from the Bible. And that's where God was trying to break down those walls. You see, God never wanted to just be God to Israel. He wanted to be God through Israel, which means he wanted to be the vehicle to take the message to the world. Because as we talked about last week, even uh, remember in the Old Testament, there were a lot of pagan nations when sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, uh, sin crept into all mankind. And, and really, there are a lot of nations. You think about the Babylonians, you think about the Assyrians, you think about uh, the Egyptians. There are a lot of wicked nations that had a lot of other deities, other gods, little g. And what God wanted to do, and I think so many times that he used Israel for this, he wanted to show the world that he was the true and only God, that there were no other gods like him, no other gods were uh, like uh, our God. And the only reason, or the only way he could do that was he had a, a people group to show the world. But through the centuries, through the decades, they the Israelites had that preconceived thought process that had to be broken down, kind of like us sometimes. And we'll explain this a little bit more in EQ time. But we have this preconceived thought process that, you know what, uh, my way of thinking is right. Anybody ever thought that? That my way of thinking is right. I know, husbands and wives sometimes, right? You know, uh, husbands especially. My way of thinking is right. Wife, you don't know anything. Uh, I know husbands never do that, never think that way. I have at times, okay? I'm just, you know, Throwing out all my sins here today. Uh, let's talk about that later. <laughs> but we have this struggle because we all have this thought process, right? That our way is right. And again, for Peter, even for Cornelius and others, their way of thinking was right. But again, what we see in the Old Testament that God used the nation, Israel, to show himself to the planet, to all the earth. And, and what God is trying to do is he's trying to lovingly break down the walls of prejudice and the walls of thought process that had been in, ingrained in them for generations upon generations. And remember, and this is all uh, very important setting up the narrative today because we kind of left off in the middle last week. In Acts chapter one, when God gave the commission to his disciples and the early followers, he told them to go into all the world. And by the time we come to Acts chapter 10, roughly how many years have passed? 10. Thank you, Randy. Roughly 10 years. Now, some theologians say anywhere from 9 to 14, so we're just putting 10. It's a, it's a good even number. Roughly 10 years have passed since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And remember the commission that he gave him to go into all the world, right? The commission was not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, for everyone. And really up until this time, there have been people saved, haven't there? We've talked about that, right? Thousands have been saved. Now, the church has gone forward. The church is going forward, and praise God for that. We should all be excited for that. But the church has really only stayed to the Jews. But was that God's full intent? No. God's full intent was all of the world be saved. And again, what we find in the early portion of chapter 10 before we get into verse 34 is that 
God had to speak to Peter. And remember that he, at the end of chapter 9, he was um, uh, staying there in Joppa, and he was staying at uh, one Simon, a tanner. Remember, uh, a tanner is one that deals with dead animals and carcasses to, to turn them into leather goods and leather things. So that right there is trying to break down some things for Peter because a Jewish person, uh, going back to Leviticus 11, they, they couldn't touch anything that was dead. That, that was their preconceived thought. And then while he's up on the rooftop and overlooking probably the ocean, the sea, and praying and, and, and meeting with God and eating, all of a sudden he has this vision. He falls into this trance, and God is speaking to Peter clearly in the first part of chapter 10. And what we see here is that he is basically there's this sheet, this, this white sheet that, that Peter sees and, and on her are all kinds of different animals. And, and God is telling him that, hey, all of these things that you once thought were unclean, I, I'm telling you that now I want you to go and kill it and eat it. Verse number 13, where it says, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And again, this goes against everything he was, he was taught. But verse 14, but Peter said, no, 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 not so, Lord. For I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I'm not allowed to, Lord. Don't you know what Jewish law is? I mean, again, just the, the, the funny uh, thought process here. Lord, don't you know what the law is? Of course he knew what the law is. In verse number 15, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, and really what we saw, three times the Lord had to speak to him. And verse 15 is very important for everything else today. And the voice spake unto him a second time, saying, what God hath cleansed, Thou call not uncommon. What he was saying was, hey, don't call something unclean that I have called clean. And God was trying to speak more than just his dietary needs. It was more than, hey, now you can eat certain things that you couldn't eat before. What he was saying is that don't call someone unsavable that I say can be saved. And Peter is struggling with this. And really, who wouldn't be struggling? Verse 16, this was done thrice, three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now Peter doubted in himself. He, he is doubting. What, what just happened? I don't understand this. So he's struggling with this. And while he's struggling with this, there comes to his door, people, some men knocking. Three guys that are knocking, and they're of the household of Cornelius. And they want Peter to go with him to Cornelius' house. Verses 18 through 24, Peter then accompanies those men to his house. In verse 30, we'll start here. The Bible says, and Cornelius, after he finally meets with them, he says, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, around three o'clock in the afternoon, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged in a house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Verse 33, this is awesome. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done. You, you've come. I, I sent for you, and you came. That's awesome. Now, therefore, are we all here present? Now, any preacher would love this. So what Cornelius did is he got his friends, he got his family together. They're all present in his household. And he said, hey, we're all present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. So here's what he's saying. Hey, we are all present before the Lord to listen to what you've been, been instructed to tell us. Any preacher would love that. I would love it going into someone's house and like, hey, pastor, I'm here to just listen and accept everything you say. Oh, okay, thank you. Awesome, let's, let's go ahead and do this. 
I mean, that, that's what Peter is getting here. And he's ready. The narrative is in place. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll continue on this morning. Michael, can you turn the air down just a little bit, or up a little bit, or whatever it is? On, whatever, thank you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to understand as we continue this thought from Acts chapter 10 into Acts chapter 11 and see that not only does the gospel transcend our prejudice when we allow it to, but the gospel also changes our thinking. And Lord, there are many of us in here or watching online that struggle with prejudice. Maybe it's racial or cultural or social or all kinds of different prejudice that we struggle with and bias. And many of us, we struggle with our thinking because of how we were taught. Maybe even how we were taught in a church that used portions of the Bible but were incomplete. There's times in my life where I was taught something based on the Bible, but as I grew and as I matured in the Lord, I realized that some of those teachings were not truly biblical. They were taken out of context. And Lord, what I desire most as a pastor is to be authentic, to help us understand what the Bible teaches, to help us understand the context of the passages, help us understand the cultural context of, first and foremost, what is being said, to who is it being said, and how can we apply it to our lives? And Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Maybe there are some in here today that are struggling with some things that they were raised to think that are actually unbiblical. And I pray that you'd help the gospel to break down those prejudices, to break down our thought process, and help us to get back to what biblical Christianity truly looks like. Heavenly Father, I love you, and I pray that you bless. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So here we have the stage set. And really the main idea of the lesson today is this, that Jesus offers his grace for every race. The gospel is for all, and to grasp it will transcend our prejudice and change our thinking. And after everything that's taken place, the stage is set. Cornelius is there. He's ready to hear. He's ready to receive, receive what, what is being taught to him. Verse 34, it's kind of where we left off last week. Then Peter opened his mouth. Now, this is very important. The very first thing he said to him, again, Peter is a Jew. Cornelius is a Gentile. In that culture, it was, especially with, with the Greeks, you know, there were Greeks and there were barbarians. You know, it was, it was two types of races of people. You know, it's either you're of us or you're not of us, and that's it. And we still struggle with that today. So Peter opens his mouth, verse 34, and says, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Here's what he's saying, very first and foremost, that God is not partial. That God has no partiality in him. That God is not biased. And the first thing we see is this, Peter's declaration. Peter begins to share the gospel, but the very first words he spoke were vitally important and perhaps the weightiest. You see, understanding the racial and religious prejudices for century. I can tell that, that the gospel is not just for some, the gospel is for all. Verse 35, but in every nation, this is important, church, in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So it's not just for Jews. It's not just for those who are, are Jews. And, it, and, and the important thing is too, and I don't want to get lost in this, but it wasn't, there were some Jews in the culture that, you know, uh, Gentiles can get saved, but they first have to become a Jew. Well, that, that was wrong thinking too. It wasn't that. And that's what God was uh, trying to help us understand, help Peter understand. And that's what Jesus came to fulfill the law. That the gospel is for every nation. 
Anyone that fears him, accepts him, can be saved. Verse 36, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Not just of some, but Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. So then he then proceeds to preach the gospel to Cornelius and to his household. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and with the Holy Ghost, with his power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Peter out of anyone, he has witnessed some of these miracles that Jesus did, whom they slew and, and hung on the tree. Verse 40, him God raised up the third day. Hey, I saw it and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses. I'm a witness chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter's explaining this to Cornelius and his household. And he commanded us to preach unto the people. And to testify, that is, it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge and the quick uh, and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. That's important. Whosoever. Again, there are words in scripture that uh, sometimes we don't understand, but that literally means anyone. Whosoever comes to Christ can be saved. That's important. So Peter launches into the gospel, and really, uh, God's choice was, again, for Israel to be his vehicle. He's not showing partiality. He's not saying that, you know, they are above all people groups and everyone else is below them. No, no, no. They're just the vehicle to take the gospel to the world. Isaiah chapter 19 clearly teaches this, this as well, because the prophet Isaiah says that there's coming a day when Egypt and Assyria and, Egypt, and, and Israel will all faithfully worship the Lord, because what the prophet was saying is that God's plan is to win worshipers from all nations, not just Israel. So the gospel presentation is that Jesus, first and foremost, is the Messiah. He is the Lord of all, that Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to liberate the devil's captives, that he died under the curse, deserved for others, that he was raised up to reign forever, that Jesus one day will judge everyone. Now, Here's a quick thing that I want to share. Jesus is our judge, but I'm also thankful that he's not just our judge, he's our advocate, which means he goes to bat for us. And that's important. So much more we can talk about with that. And then Peter concludes with that forgiveness is for any who trust in Jesus' name. Look, the message of salvation is an open door. All you have to do is receive it. So we see Peter's declaration. Let's continue on quickly because I really want to get to the application. The Holy Spirit's confirmation. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words. Now, there's a lot of scripture, and especially in the book of Acts, that are misinterpreted. This is one of those. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell upon them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. They were in amazement. As many as came with Peter, because that the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. So remember back in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon the Jews at Pentecost and, and the sign was given to them that they were able to speak in tongues. Now that's important. And we talked about that briefly, the fact that tongues was really given 
uh, as a sign to unbelievers to share the gospel, to promote the gospel. So really, this is almost a Gentile version of Pentecost. And really what it was, it was a verification that salvation was not just for the Jew, it was also for the Gentile. And the receiving of the Holy Spirit is not about some experience. And again, I, want, I don't want to go so deep into this. I've studied about this a little bit this week, and there's a lot of thoughts in my mind racing. But the Spirit came, tongues weren't used to confuse. They were a sign to validate God's working. You know, so many in the charismatic movement today place an emphasis on the experience. They make the experience the authority, but the authority is never the experience. The authority is God's Word. That's the authority. And that's really what we learn in these verses. And this was showing Peter and other Jews that God had accepted them. Verse 47, can any man forbid water? So after, after the Holy Spirit came upon them, Peter is saying, you know what? Hey, these guys have to be baptized. That's the next step. They've been saved, so they need to be baptized and, and joined into a church. And, and a church at Caesarea was established and started. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? which have received the Holy Spirit as all we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And that's very important. And then we get to chapter 11. And what we see in chapter 11, again, is the reiteration. I'm not going to read all the verses today, but if you, if you read chapter 11, the first 18 verses, Peter is going back to Jerusalem. Here, I'll give you the point because I'll probably forget it. Peter endorses the Gentiles. Peter endorses the Gentiles. How many have ever been in a situation like this? You've done something, and in your mind, it was a great thing. You did something great, you saw great results from it, and then you go and meet with your friends or family, and then you have to defend what you just did. That ever happened to you? Right? I'm sure we can all think of different illustrations. So that is the picture that is going on here. Now, what just took place? Gentiles were saved. That's awesome, right? If you don't think it's awesome, it is. It's awesome that Gentiles were saved, that people were being saved. That's awesome, right? So Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and really, instead of the church there being excited about it, they're questioning him. They're rebuking him. How could you eat with the Gentiles? Don't you know who they are? That's wrong thinking, isn't it? But how many times do we do the same? Whoa! I mean, yeah, yeah, they got saved, whatever. But seriously? Seriously? So this is what he's dealing with. And what God is giving us and what Luke is giving us is this re-emphasis. He's met by a group of individuals in the church who are rebuking him for eating with the Gentiles. Now, keep in mind, these Jewish believers didn't fully understand the relationship between law and grace, between Jew and Gentile, between Israel and the church. Within the church of Jerusalem, there were many converted priests, and that's an amazing thing. They believed Jesus as their Savior, as the Messiah, but they also still had held to the law. And they still struggled with that because, okay, we believe that Jesus is our Messiah. We, we understand that, but we also have to hold to the law. They didn't fully grasp it all. How many, honestly, fully grasped everything about salvation the day you got saved? No one. Look, I still don't fully grasp it all because I'm still learning, and you should. Until we get to heaven, you're still going to learn. You're still going to grow. 
in all of that. They had a difficult time giving up their way of thinking. And look, that's tough for anyone, right? Isn't it tough to give up your way of thinking? It is. It's tough for me, and I know it's tough for you. But look at verse number 17. Again, what Peter does here, and I'm not going to read it all, but in verses 1 through 18, it's really, read it later. He's, he's retelling what took place, what God did in him and through him, and how he was trying to help him understand some things. But skip down to verse 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he gave unto us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is important. What was I that I could withstand God? Here's what, here's what Peter is saying. Who am I to interfere or stand in God's way? Let that set in. Peter is telling the Jews here at the church of Jerusalem that are questioning him and rebuking him, who am I to stand in God's way? And really, that's a question that all of us should ask. Who are any of us that we should stand in God's way? But how many times have we stood in God's way? How many times have we had our thoughts that we thought were right, that we knew was what was supposed to happen or whatever, and we are standing in God's way because God wanted to do a great work, but we couldn't get past our own thinking, our own traditions of men, so to speak. Verse 18, what we see is that when they heard these things, when all that Peter had told them, and really he went into great detail about everything that took place, they held their peace. And they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance into life. So really, they were awestruck. Like, wow, okay, I guess, I guess you're right. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that there were some that probably were like, you know what, I still don't buy this. Right? Because it's true today. I could preach the most amazing message and some people get it and some people are like, I don't really buy that. I'm not really into that kind of stuff. Even Christians that have been saved for a long time, I don't really buy that, that train of thought, that, that thought process. Because we are so ingrained with a world's thought system than we are with God's thought system. And that's where we have to break it down. Dennis Johnson says about this passage, he says, although there were some silent detractors, the church joined Peter in praising God for his gift to the Gentiles. And that's important. The church finally, most of them understood, and, and there's still going to be some things that happen throughout the book of Acts that they're going to have to break down. One message isn't going to change everything. It's not. It's not going to change a lifetime. I mean, you know, you think about these politicians, they stand up and we're trying to unify and, and one speech is not going to change a generation of thought process, right? It's not. And if you think it's going to change in one speech, you're naive to think it's going to change. But the point of this narrative is simple. In Acts chapter 10, into the first part of chapter 11, and next week, we're going to discover some amazing things about uh, Saul is going to be reintroduced to us. You know, the, the church at Antioch, an amazing uh, church that we have and the model that we have there. But the, the point of the narrative is simple, that the gospel is for all nations. Again, the gospel doesn't just save us. It transcends our prejudice when we allow the gospel to overtake us. But the gospel also changes our thinking. Peter thought that Jews were loved by God, Gentiles were hated. Jews could only receive salvation, and God had to say, you know what, that's wrong. I don't want to necessarily get racial today, but we think the same thing sometimes in America. 
We think the same thing that I am privileged because I am whatever. And this group is not privileged. That's wrong. It's unbiblical. Look, changing how we think or view something is difficult to say the least. And even the ordinary Jewish believer would have a difficult time making this transition. Look, it was not only a matter of religion, but also of culture, of cultural habits, and that they are very hard to break, cultural habits, are they not? You grew up in an area for all of your life, and it's ingrained in you how that culture thinks. I mean, moving here to Texas, the Texas culture is completely different than the Midwest culture. That's not a bad thing. That's just reality. The Midwest culture is completely different than how, where I was in um, Colorado. Completely different. That's not a bad thing. It's just different. And it was very, it was honestly, it was hard for me moving from Indiana because of the cultural bias that I had to Colorado. And, and they do things differently out there. And, and I wanted to try to do things that we did in Indiana, but that doesn't work. Same thing when I came to Texas, it doesn't work. You know, the culture is different everywhere and that's okay. You know, by nature, listen, we, are, we can be very legalistic. And those legalistic tendencies were alive in the early church and they're alive in our church today. We all bring wrong thinking into our Christian experience. By nature, we are all ethnocentric. Here's what that means. Evaluating other people and cultures according to the standards of our own culture. By nature, we are all ethnocentric. Basically, we judge another culture based on our own thinking of our own culture. Go to another state and tell me that I'm wrong. Because you're going to go to that other state, and they're going to do things differently than you do it here, and you're going to judge them immediately, right? Like, they don't know how to drive here. They don't know how to talk here, right? Obviously. I mean, they sound like, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you think about even, even speech, though. I mean, the United States is so culturally diverse, and honestly, it's pretty awesome. You know, people in the Northeast talk completely different people in the South, right? I mean, you've been in the Northeast, Tyler. Uh, it's completely different. I mean, some of the things, you know, go park the car in the yard, you know, stuff like that. Like, completely different than, hey, y'all, what's going on? I'm not saying that's a Texas thing. It's just South is completely different. Completely different than someone from Michigan that talks really fast, or Indiana that talks really fast, and you got to slow things down, right? It's been a struggle for all of us. Still is, yeah. <laughs> they need to listen fast. <laughs> See, he's trying to bring his thinking. Anyway. But we're all, all ethnocentric. Again, we evaluate other people and cultures according to the standards of our own culture. And upon deeper study into Acts chapter 11, I want to close with this, and we're going to dive a little bit more into EQ. Here are three ways in which Peter's critics were thinking wrongly and how this type of thinking needs correcting in our lives. Get this down if you're taking notes. Wrong thinking number one. Man-made traditions are more important than salvation. How much time do we got? <laughs> Man-made traditions are more important than salvation. Peter just had an amazing opportunity to witness to a household of Gentiles who all received salvation. They received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized. A church of Caesarea was started. How much more exciting can it get than that? But instead of rejoicing over what God had done, they were grumbling about Peter eating with a Gentile. Look, the Jewish law didn't forbid social contact 
between Jews and Gentiles, although it did specify what sorts of food could be eaten. But these legalists were more concerned about Peter breaking a kosher law than they were rejoicing about someone being saved. And how often do we do the same thing? You see, we elevate certain things and certain traditions, certain ways of doing things above salvation of lost souls. You know, I think of it in the, the, uh, the Gospels where, I think it's in Luke where you have the, um, the moat and the beam. It might be in Matthew, I can't remember which one. Uh, the moat and the beam. Here, here's the, port, uh, the thing I'm trying to get across. Here's what, what happens a lot of times. It's very easy for us to look at everyone else and see all their faults, right? And real, not realize that we have our own faults. So in, in the sense, what, what the, the parable is, that so often we have this giant beam sticking out of our eyes, so to speak. And we can't see the problems that are in our own life, but we see this little speck in someone else's life. You know, I've, I've illustrated before with kids, you know, it's like taking a, a giant baseball bat and sticking it in my eye, and I'm, I'm going around and I'm whacking everyone else. Now, it's, that's my problem. But I see this little small aspect in Kevin and Ian's life that I'm going to address. And there's a lot more than just small aspects in their life. But that's what we do. We see these small aspects in someone else's life, and I'm going to address that instead of realizing our own problems. And that's what we do. These man-made traditions to us so many times are more important than salvation. And I've seen that growing up in church. I've seen that growing up in a pastor's home where people get so disgusted when you change certain things that are not unbiblical. People are being saved. The gospel is going forward. I don't care. You change this. So what's more important to you? I mean, that's the question we have to ask, right? What's more important to you? People being saved, spending eternity in heaven or hell, or your little preconceived traditions? For some of us, it's our little preconceived traditions. And I'm not trying to just, you know, jump on people's toes, but honestly, my feet have been stepped on as I've studied this, and the Lord has helped me. Because there have been times in my life where I've been more concerned with that. You see, listen to this. If your cultural or spiritual baggage is getting in the way of your passionate commitment to reach people from different cultures with the gospel, then it's time for you to get rid of your baggage. Let me say that again. If your cultural or spiritual baggage is getting in the way of your passionate commitment to reach people from different cultures with the gospel, then it's time for you to get rid of your baggage. You see, what needs to change most in our churches is our way of thinking. Wrong thinking number two. The church should only consist of my kind of people. Why are you guys are laughing? Oh, because you know it's true, right? I don't know how many people actually say this, but I know countless individuals who live like this. And I'm sure many in the Jewish Christian community at the time of Acts would have said, you know, it's okay for, for God to save the Gentiles, but as long as they first become a Jew. But for God to save them just as they are doesn't fit into my way of thinking. And we do that, you know, before someone gets saved sometimes, hey, I need you to change right away. Change your clothing, change your attitude, change your language, change, 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 change before you get saved. Well, that's wrong. We're trying to create this mold, this, you know, cookie cutter stamp, and I hate that. We're not cookie cutters, obviously, right? 
We're all unique. Let me hang on. Oh, it worked. Some of us are hexagons or circles. You're a hexagon? Okay, Randy's a hexagon, okay? He's got that label. He's, that's him. He's a hexagon, whatever that means. Some of us are circles. Some of us are squares. We all know what that means. Uh, I'm a square. But I'm trying to be a triangle, okay? Or a circle. There's no point. I'm just trying to be, yeah. Good catch. Uh, let's go on. We're all different, but that's okay. And even, even this church struggled with this. You know, this didn't end when Peter spoke to him in Acts chapter 11. You know, for the same legalistic party, they later debated with Paul about salvation of the Gentiles in Acts 14. Even after the Jerusalem conference, legalistic teachers continued to attack Paul and invade the churches he founded. They wanted to woo the believers into a life of obedience to the law, and it's no different today. We try to woo people into obedience to the law or our law, our standards. You do this list of things, and then God will accept you. No, 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 you got it wrong. You serve God. You do what God wants you to do, not what I ask you to do. Did you get that? You do what the Bible tells you to do, not what Chris Thorne tells you to do. If I'm saying something different than the Bible. But if I'm saying something that's according to the Bible, you listen to the Bible. That's your authority. Man is not your authority. Is it making sense? Is it resonating? Not saying that God doesn't use men. He uses men. He uses women. He uses individuals. But we are not the authority. God's word is the authority. And church members are notorious for saying things like, well, we've never done it that way before. This is funny. Which is the third type of thinking? God has to do things my way. God has to do things my way. Look, it's, it's wrong for the church to only target or accept certain types of people. That completely undermines everything Paul taught in Ephesians 3. You see, what we need to discover is, I go back to identity, our true identity. We need to allow God's word to confront wrong thinking so that we can truly grow in Christ and be more usable for his purpose. Case in point, the shapes. We're all different. That's okay. You see, it's not about being the same. It's about understanding who you are in Christ, who Christ has made you. And then living in light of that, that's the important thing. But these three thought processes affect so many churches that man-made traditions are more important than salvation. Again, I can talk about that. We'll probably speak a little bit more about that in EQ. The church should only consist of my kind of people. And God has to do things my way. Well, last I checked, you weren't God and I wasn't God. There's only one God. So we do things his way, not our way. But most of the time, the problem is we do things our way, and that's why we get upset with God. Here's the key truth, and I want to close with. This is what we see in Acts 10 and 11. Here's what Jesus is showing us. Jesus shows hospitality for all groups. And because of that, we should imitate him. Imitate Jesus. I mean, Paul even talked about that. You know, be ye followers of me. 
as I follow who? Christ. Don't follow me because I'm something special. Follow me because I'm following Jesus. And that's what we're seeing here. Hey, Jesus is showing that hospitality is for all groups of people, so imitate him. Second, Jesus commanded us to preach to everyone, so proclaim him. And the third thing, Jesus saves irreligious and religious people, so worship him. Imitate Jesus, proclaim Jesus, and worship Jesus. That's the key of this text this morning. That's the key of what we've been talking about, understanding that we have been activated. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you have been activated for service. You're not like everyone else, and that's okay, but you're activated. And like that orange illustration we gave a couple weeks ago, that on the outside it looks all awesome and wonderful, but the orange was not intended to sit, because if it sits, it's going to rot. The orange was intended to be cut open and to be enjoyed. Enjoy the sweetness, and also you can take those seeds within an orange and and plant them, and eventually trees or bushes or plants will grow up. It takes time that we need to, to spread the seed of God's word to others that need to hear. So imitate Jesus, proclaim Jesus, and worship Jesus. Not someone else, but only him. That's the important thing. That's what Jesus was trying to get through with Peter. That's what he was trying to get through with even Cornelius And he's trying to get through these these Jewish believers there in Acts chapter 11. And that's what he's trying to get through in my life. And that's what he's trying to get through in your life. To understand that God is not partial. He shows no partiality. You know, I, I, I want our church so desperately not to look all of the same mold. I want us to be so unique and so different. I want us to be a multi generational church, which is important. But I also want us to be a multicultural church because that's biblical. And you see that. And there are a lot of people, especially in America, that struggle with that. We have segregated our churches, and that's why there's segregation in our society. Because in our minds, the gospel isn't for all. I mean, they have their own gospel. We have our gospel. That's wrong. How foolish of us. And if we struggle with this, we need to pray that God would help change our thinking. As he started to do with Peter and really did with Paul, especially.